Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. So I've been praying about what to share, you know, like Matt said, we're continuing in Hebrews, Hebrews 3 and 4, and these two chapters, the major theme is about entering God's rest, which is a wonderful topic, and um, as I was praying, I was just, you know, leading up to this, uh, you know, one of the things that was really on my heart is that God would just, um, for those of us that are in here that have been feeling really burdened, really that just kind of need to enter that place of rest, because I feel like we're in a turbulent time where there's a lot of that. You know, I know I've been feeling a lot of it, um, not just because I haven't spoken in a while and I'm nervous to get up and do this, <laughs> but uh, also because, you know, there's just, it, the way I describe it, I almost feel, it almost feels like if, if the spirit realm was like radio waves, it's almost like there's just a lot of noise constantly. And, uh, you know, really it can wear us out um, and make us feel, you know, either overwhelmed or stressed or, you know, all these different things. So, uh, as I've been praying leading up to this, if, if that's something where you feel like that's something you've been dealing with, um, then I just, I just want you to pay attention and receive. I feel like the Lord has something today specifically for if you fit in that category. And I think to some degree, we probably have all been feeling that. And I'm not just talking about the controversial things that have all been going on. It seems like in the last two years, it's been one major controversial issue after another. Um, but there's just, even, even below all that, it just, you can feel like this turbulent thing in the spirit. And I feel like a lot of it, you know, when God approaches, when God starts coming near and coming near to his people or coming near to people, uh, you see in the scriptures, you know, people that had like demons and stuff, those things would manifest when Jesus was coming closer, when he who was, who had that light yoke and that easy burden and was walking in God's rest, it would actually cause all the unrest to manifest. Um, so... If that's you, um, there's, not that you have a demon, I'm not saying that, uh, but if you've been dealing with, with some of that, th- those kind of feelings, um, there's, a, there's a phrase that gets repeated several times in the passage we're gonna look at that's, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And uh, I think that one of the things, a lot of times we can read that and we think it's when God tells us something hard that we, that we are tempted to harden our hearts, Actually, I find that most of the time God promises something good and, and we just react to get, you know, we are tempted to harden our hearts and say, no, that's too good to be true. So if God gives you something today, if, if, you know, during this time, if he just starts to minister to that, don't harden your hearts, receive it. All right, God's got some good stuff and he wants to lead us into rest. So I'm gonna pray and then I will just jump in. So Father, I pray for that today. I pray that's you would help us to enter your rest. I pray that if there's people here that have been feeling weighed down, they feel a heavy yoke instead of your light yoke, they feel unrest instead of rest. Jesus, thank you that you are gentle and humble and you give us rest. And so, Father, I pray that you would impart that today. I pray that you would teach us, teach us how to enter your rest Teach us as a general principle how to live in that place, but also how to enter it in the moment when we need it. And thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump in. 
So we're gonna be looking, like I said, at uh, Hebrews 3 and 4. But before, before I jump into that, um, I wanna actually kind of lay a little bit of foundation, some, some context here. The first is actually like kind of a larger biblical context of where this fits in. Um, it's not kind of a big picture overview. And so uh, where I wanna go with that is, you know, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, and he created all, he started populating it with plants and animals. And then at the culmination of creation, he created man in his image. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so that, and that happens, you know, he put them in this garden called Eden. And uh, really this project that God started, this Eden project was meant to be something that when he said be fruitful and multiply, he's talking about that image of God that he created man with. So he wanted the image of God to be, um, to take over the whole world and for God's, the expression of God's heart to be made manifest in the physical realm through man, right? So this place of, this place of fruitfulness, this place of life, this place of, you know, all these wonderful things taking place, not just God doing it himself, which he could, but actually creating a partner, partners for him to do that with, image bearers that like him have the same authority and you know, can do these, can make the whole earth like this paradise, like this Eden, okay? Because the whole earth wasn't like that. Eden was just one small place and man was gonna cultivate all of it. And we see in the end, if you fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible, you see that has, you know, there's a promise that that's gonna happen. There's this heavenly Jerusalem, this Eden has expanded to this gigantic city and, you know, and, and Jesus and God dwell there with man. Um, so that happens, but at the beginning, there's a bunch of trees in the garden, a bunch of fruit-bearing plants, but there's two specifically that God highlights. He highlights the tree of life, which man has permission to take from and to eat. And he highlights the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which he has forbidden to man. And it's not just an arbitrary thing. There's a reason why God has forbidden it. And the reason he gives it is that the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now notice he didn't say the day you eat of it, I'll kill you. He said the day you eat of it, you'll die. Something in you will die. So we know the story, you know, man takes from that tree. He was meant to take from the tree of life where the life of God would actually come into him, be reproduced in him and the, and the work and the effort that Adam and the rest of us would walk in would actually not be toilsome, but it would actually be a joy. And, and I picture that probably looking a lot like if you've ever been working and you've kind of entered the zone or this flow state, you know, people talk about that a lot. But I imagine that, you know, if we hadn't, if the fall hadn't happened, probably all of our work would have, would have really looked like that and felt like that. It would have been a joy. Um, and that's the way we were meant to live, but of course we chose otherwise. We chose to take on this knowledge of good and evil. And what happened immediately when that, when that occurred? The first thing that happened is all of a sudden, what God had said was good in Adam and Eve, all of a sudden Adam's ashamed and he's hiding. Eve, they're, they're both ashamed. It says they were naked, and before that they were naked and unashamed, but all of a sudden they're naked and they're ashamed because all of a sudden Adam isn't so sure that Adam is good because now he's got to figure out for himself this good and evil, and I don't know, you know? I don't know, maybe I'm good, maybe I'm not, but I, I know for one thing, I'm not confident enough to, to be out there in front of God anymore. I'm gonna hide myself. And that's important because just like everything else up into that moment uh, in scripture, everything bears fruit after its kind and that sin has also borne fruit after its kind. All of it traces its way back to there. So that's one thing, that's one area of context I wanted to touch on real quick. The second is the context of this letter in general. Matt started talking about this a little bit last week, but um, 
you know, in, in the book of Hebrews, the author, which we don't know who it is, is writing to Jewish believers, and these Jewish believers, they've, they've recognized that Jesus is the Messiah, they've put their trust in him, but they're undergoing pretty severe persecution and pressure to renounce Jesus, to come back under the law, and to come back under Judaism. And so the author is writing this letter to encourage them to, that, that what they have in Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things that were in Judaism, that there's, there's really, there's no going back. There's nothing back there for them to go back to. Um, and, you know, just encouraging them to, that Jesus really, one of the things that he's, he or she, because we don't know who wrote it, uh, is, is doing to build up that encouragement is they are pointing out how Jesus is actually greater than these other things that, that's, that they were trusting in. So, uh, you know, in chapter one, we saw last week that they, that the author establishes that Jesus is greater than the angels. Cultural context, this was at, the t- at a time when I think the book of Enoch was actually pretty popular, and they were, you know, so there was this fascination with heavenly beings. So for them to know that Jesus was greater than the angels was a big deal. And now we come into Hebrews 3 and 4, and Jesus, or in the, in the uh, author of Hebrews is gonna compare Jesus to Moses. And this is obvious, this is a big deal, right? If you're, if you're a Jewish believer, Moses is a pretty big deal. You know, to say that Jesus is greater than Moses, this is pretty much getting right at the heart of what are you gonna go back to, you know, if, you, if Jesus is greater. So let's start, uh, let's start reading here. So I'm gonna just start right at the beginning of chapter three. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. I'm gonna stop there for a minute. Um, you know, Jesus being compared to Moses here, I kind of see this, this is why I brought up the original context of scripture. I kind of see this like back in the garden again. There's two trees being presented to you once again. And one of them represents this life, this place where we come to Jesus and we receive life. And not only that, do we receive life, he lives his life through us. So we are in many different ways receiving life from him. Um, But rather than that, you know, they're being tempted to come back under the law, which I think knowledge of good and evil is a pretty good description of law, right? I think that in a lot of ways, what God did when man chose the knowledge of good and evil was he gave them the very best that he could give them under that mode of life. He gave them his perfect law. He said, you want the knowledge of good and evil? I will bless you the best I can bless you by giving you the best knowledge of good and evil that there is. It still produced what I promised it would produce. It still produced death. But I'm going to honor that and give that to you. So, you know, for them to go back to Moses, they're going to be going back to this system where they're under, this, under the weight of the law and it only produces death. So that's what they're being tempted to do. And this is what he's encouraging them not to do. And Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the days of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. 
Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Okay. Um, this is actually, this, this bit that we just read, these last few verses, is a quotation from Psalm 95. Um, and it's really a retelling. In some ways, it's a, it's a kind of a poetic retelling of the entire wilderness wandering and the rebellion of the Israelites during that time. But it actually uh, is rooted in one specific story. And it's in Exodus 17. And I'm not, we're not gonna go there, but I'm gonna kind of summarize it for you. So the Israelites have just been led out of Egypt by Moses. They're wandering, they're starting to wander in the wilderness. The chapter just before this, I think it was, they, um, they complain that there's nothing to eat and God provides manna for the first time and quail. And the manna would continue the entire time, the 40 years that they're in, that they're in the desert. Um, but then in Exodus 17, once again, they come to a place where they're without something, they're without water, and they start to grumble and they complain. And before you pick on the Israelites for grumbling and complaining, you've probably never been in the desert with no water before. So let's give them a little bit of slack here, although it's still, you know, their reaction was still not good. Um, so they grumble and they complain. And so God goes to, or sorry, Moses goes to God and says, okay, what are we gonna do about it? And God gives him a pretty interesting solution to this. He says, okay, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna go stand on the rock at Horeb. God says, saying this to Moses. And while I'm standing on it, I want you to strike the rock. And when you strike the rock, water's gonna come out and the people are gonna be able to drink. This rock is actually really interesting because Paul later says, you know, you keep seeing this rock show up throughout the wilderness journey. And Paul later says that the rock was Christ. That's an interesting thing. And I got a funny story that goes with that. Uh, so the day that, uh, that I read Matt's email asking me if I would, if I would share um, was actually April 1st, but he had sent it the day before. So it wasn't an April Fool's joke. I am supposed to be here. Um, but, you know, so I, it, the funny thing about that, so I'm reading, you know, I read his email, I start reading this, I'm looking into the whole Exodus 17 things, I've kind of gone down that path, and I just start laughing because I remember something that happened just five days before I'm reading this was the Oscars. Do you guys remember what happened at the Oscars? So you have the rock, who is Christ, the Chris rock, or the Christ rock, <laughs> And you have the will of the Lord, the will, Will Smith, comes up and strikes the rock. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just sitting there laughing like, God, this is hilarious. Like, this is, there's no way this is a coincidence, you know? There's something in this for us. And, um, you know, really one of the biggest problems, again, with going back under the law. Oh, by the way, Smith, Will Smith. Smith also means to strike, one who strikes. So there's, there's just a lot going on in there. And I'm not saying any of this to pick on anybody. I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I'm not going there. That's not my heart at all. But I just, this is just kind of cool how God uses these things. Um, one of the problems and, you know, kind of the, the prophetic thing that I saw coming out there is that when we're living under this bondage of the law or under this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we become will smiths. We become people that the best thing we can do is try to beat our wills into a place, forge them into a place where we can produce something good, whatever something good is. You know, if, if we have some kind of knowledge of God, then we're trying to do good things for the Lord. If we have no knowledge of him, then we're trying to, you know, work, live for a good cause. Or, you know, even, even 
like even within gangs and different things you see, there's, there's a code of ethics that sort of happens. It's like, I'm not going to you know, betray people or I'm not gonna, whatever the case may be, all of these systems, even if they're evil, there's this sense of I need to forge my will to do something because I might not want to do this thing, but I need to forge my will to do it. Compare that to how God, what God says in Philippians 2.13 for us, that it's God who works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. That's coming back under the tree of life again. That's back taking his life in and just saying, you know what, if I just show up, if I just come to him, if I'm willing to be made willing in a lot of ways, it's as simple as that, and just keep showing up in his presence, I don't have to be a willsmith and try to beat my will into submission. I'll become what he wants me to be. Okay. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Uh, we're we're going to take a, a pretty big chunk here. Um, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. That's kind of worded a little bit awkward there. There's a footnote in my Bible that says uh, that that could also be worded. It did not meet with faith in the hearers. That just makes a little bit more sense to me, so I figured I'd point it out. Um, For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, or as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, so just a quick break there, but, you know, back to that story at the beginning, the, the, the creation story. Remember, it said that God, on the seventh day, he rested. And, and I know Matt has pointed out before that the, there's no end to the seventh day that's given there in Scripture. So it was meant to be this ongoing place of rest for man to enter into and work, work with him from a place of rest. So anyway, keep going. Um, and again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest also rested from his work, uh, yeah, also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And we'll stop there for a minute. Um, just one thing that's in this big chunk, the number one thing that kept them from entering God's rest was some form of unbelief. And I found that very interesting because 
one of the things that I've been finding more and more lately, it's like everything basically comes down to trust. Every time I'm not in a place of rest, it's a trust issue. Is really all it comes down to. And, you know, am I trusting God? Is, is he going to take care of this if it's something that's beyond me? Is he gonna help me with something if it's something that is my responsibility? All of those kind of things. Can I trust him? Can I trust him to work in me to will and to do according to his good pleasure? Or is there this stressful burden on me to figure things out all the time? And the answer is that, of course, you know, he's, um, sorry, he's, um, we can trust him. We can enter into that place of trust, okay? And the things that he, enter, that, he, that he enters, that he talks about here, about, or he or she, about there being like an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart, different things like that, they basically all center around that place of, are you in the place of trust? Are you trusting him? Are you trusting the promises that he gave you, the good things that he spoke to you? Are you trusting that he's faithful and he's gonna do those things for you? Or is there a little bit of doubt coming in and, and you're not so sure and you're, you know, basically forsaking his promises and, and taking it back all on your shoulders, okay? So striving to enter that rest, that's an interesting phrase. Strive and rest seem like kind of opposites, right? Okay, so verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is interesting because, again, going back to the garden, do you remember what God set up after they ate from the tree of knowledge? He actually set up a cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the way back to the tree of life. And now all of a sudden, here the sword is showing up, and it's the word of God. And it's a problem in this particular context. It's, the word of God is good, but it's, it can become a problem because of what it says at the end of that passage there, that it exposes and it lays us completely naked and bare before the Lord. And that's gonna be a real problem if shame is still ruling us. Okay, so there's this, there's this barrier still. So we, we are almost back to the promised land. We're almost back to this place where we can work from God's rest, but there's still this barrier that no matter what, I can't hide anything from the word of God. It's gonna expose it all. So what does God do about this? Let's finish the chapter here. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus has dealt with the sword. Matter of fact, later on in Revelation, this whole imagery of sword, it's kind of interesting. Where is the sword in Revelation? It's actually coming out of Jesus' mouth. He's absorbed it. He's taken it into himself. He has taken the shame. Partly why Jesus actually, I think, can, is, has the ability to bear our sin on the cross is because he's not... He doesn't have the same shame that we do. He's actually able to take our shame before the Father and bear it for us because he's not ruled by shame. He's, and how was Jesus crucified? Naked, on a cross, fully exposed, hands nailed back so he can't cover anything, right? That's the place of shame-free, 
You know, that's, that's him taking our shame so that we can live also wide open with our arms, you know, completely shame-free, completely just trusting in him without that burden, without that heavy yoke on us and wondering, am I good enough? Wondering, am I clean or am I dirty? Wondering, you know, have I done enough? All of these different things. So, um, man, that clock is moving very fast. <laughs> Matt, you should replace that with the one that you had in your office that just comes up with random times. <laughs> um, so really quick here, there's a couple of things in this last passage where it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If we can put up the other scripture of Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, because this to me sounds a whole lot like what Jesus promised. He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I've kind of got to start wrapping up here, but this is, for, for us, this is a big key. If you wanna enter God's rest, if we wanna get rid of that burden, not only of shame, but of the anxiety, the pressures, all these different things that, that come on us and the turbulent times that we're in, this is the invitation that we have from him every day. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a constant, continual thing. Keep showing up. Keep coming to him. Keep discovering him as gentle and humble that you're taking his yoke. When you have this heavy yoke on you, you go to him and say, I want your yoke instead. Teach me, teach me how to carry this. Teach me how to carry these life circumstances. I wanna walk with you in this. And his promise is you will find rest for your souls. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. You know, he's, he's walking around with the full burden, so to speak, of you know, the full responsibility of representing God to man when he walked the earth as a man and the full responsibility of bearing all our sin before God on the cross and yet his yoke was easy and his burden was light while he did all that. That's incredible. So we can have that as well. Whatever it is that we're going through, whatever it is, you know, we can, we can do it from a place of his rest. Um, and what is that, again, what is that rest? It, just, it pretty much just looks like trust. So for finishing up here, I wanted to, uh, man, there's, <laughs> time goes by so fast. There's so much in here. Um, so I wanted to do something really quick. I wanted to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. This actually came to me after what Matt was saying last week about Isaiah being um, kind of like this picture of the whole Bible. I'd never seen that before. That was really cool. But in Isaiah chapter 40, I'm actually, what I felt like I wanted to do was read verses 28 through 31, but I wanted to read it over you guys. And what I wanted to invite you guys to do was actually just close your eyes. If you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to, close your eyes and just start taking a few deep breaths. Something really quick on that as well. Have you guys heard this? Uh, I can't remember who originally said it, but this idea that when God told Moses his name, and you know, we know that there's no consonants in the YHWH that he told him there that's in the original Hebrew, that it was actually the sound of breath. That's really cool because that means every time you breathe, you're speaking his name. When you, stop speak, when, you, when you stop speaking his name, you die. 
It also gives new context to what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain, right? It's like, don't live in vain. If you're living at all, you know, you're, you're speaking his name. And so just take a few minutes while, while I'm reading this over you, just kind of breathe, be thankful for your breath, be thankful for the fact that you can say his name. You have the privilege of constantly saying his name. It's interesting that, you know, there's all these mindfulness movements and all that that are centered around. They're discovering the this, this same thing, that there's rest and focusing on breath. Why is that? You're saying his name. You can't live without saying his name. So I'm gonna read this over you and I'm just gonna pray and we'll be done. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall fail, sorry, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So Father, thank you for this promise to those who wait on you, to those who trust in you, Father, I pray that you'd help us to move fully into places of trust. Anything that we're carrying right now, anything that's a heavy burden, anything that we're trying to carry ourselves and it's weighing us down, even the things that seem like good things, the things that seem like we're just carrying our responsibility or we're just doing our part, but it's a heavier yoke than what you have or we're carrying it alone, we're carrying it in our own strength. Father, I pray that you would come that you would remove that yoke from us. Jesus, we come to you. Thank you that you're humble and gentle with us, that you're the kind of teacher you're not, you're not upset when we make mistakes. You're not impatient when we don't get it right away. We come to you, we learn from you because you're gentle, you're humble in heart, and we wanna take on your yoke. We wanna do things the way that you did it. We wanna carry the, only the yoke that you carried we want to eat from the tree of life, receive everything that we need for life and godliness from you. And we don't want to go back. We don't want to go back to any other way. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.